0: That wonder take your Bible and look at that chapter has for us. may bring forth. I'm so glad that um, I surrendered to the ministry. In one sense, we all surrender to the ministry. We're really surrendering to God, and all of us are in ministry. God laid His hand upon me and asked me to be in occupational ministry, but my heart was to be working with young people in family ministry and I did that for almost 10 years and uh, felt like I wanted to do that for longer and really for a lifetime of, of my ministry and mine, and am and, and, and still doing that actually. Um, and the time that I was doing that in the early 80s, and even when I came here to this church, the uh, staff member that was in charge of working with, teenagers and now they they call them students it's it's unique how that things change they called that particular person the youth director and uh so you know kind of like a director of activities a coordinator of classes and and different things and so the sign on my office in the first two churches that i was full-time at said uh, had my name and underneath it said youth director and so that's what i did but I knew that I was, uh, I, I didn't have a problem with that, but I knew that I was more than a coordinator, more than a director, because I, I had a, the heart of a shepherd for these, these teenagers. <clears throat> I wanted to shepherd their hearts for God and, and for their parents. I don't mean in place of their parents. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, That as fathers turn their hearts to their children, that their children will turn their hearts to their fathers. And I wanted to encourage them to turn their hearts to their fathers and their mothers. And then I facilitated for years, um, I had classes for parents, even when we didn't have children. And I felt like I didn't have a lot to say about it. So I would bring in other people uh, to come and talk to them about parenting. And, and so forth. And then uh, I became a senior pastor here. I was the the youth pastor here in the church, uh, the youth shepherd, if you will. And my focus really hasn't changed any in terms of family ministry. Those of you know me that have heard me for a while, it's easy to pick that up. I was at a, a conference for uh, for youth pastors in the 80s, and a friend of mine that has spoken at two of our our uh, couples conferences, and preached here one time, Les Olala, one of the wisest men that I know, he just made a casual comment. I, I've only heard him say it one time. I'm sure he said it more than this. And in a personal conversation he and I had, I, I brought this up when I'm about to tell you and shared it with him. But he said, um, he said, i found, this is what Les said, he said, i found that many youth pastors make good senior pastors because their ministry is involved with families, and that's what senior pastors do. And then he went on to something else. It really kind of didn't fit in with the tenor of the topic he was talking about. But the first time, I I thought, well, I've never thought about being a senior pastor. I just love what I'm doing, and I thought, well, maybe that's what I I could or, or should do one time. Never pursued it, never had my... Uh, eye on on anything like steps or anything like that, just thought, well, I've never thought of it in those terms. And of course, there's a lot more to it than that in terms of of responsibility. But really, I just kind of shifted over and and did what I was doing as a youth pastor with some different emphasis. And those precious teenagers now that we had back then are, are grandparents it's hard hard for me to imagine that those, those kids, and they're not kids anymore, they've got gray head. I did a funeral on July the 11th um, for one of our youth workers uh, up in Virginia that helped us, precious man of God, and was in good health, and then just got sick and passed away, and the family asked me to come and, uh, and do his funeral. And so I, I did that, and then we went up to see my sister, uh, less, about three weeks before she passed away. And it was the last uh, coherent personal conversation. I had some on the phone with her, but face-to-face conversation I had with my sister, which is just 100 miles from Delaware, from, from D.C. But uh, got to see some of the teenagers that w- that were there and just good memories and see their grandkids and went over to one of their the, – the guy I did the funeral for, he has three – two sons and a daughter – and uh, went over to the homes, and Paula and I, we just laughed and laughed. And uh, just wonderful times, those, those the team that we had built and, and those kids. And Paula and I, uh, I'd say we carried past tense, but we still carry a burden for them when they get into trouble or they have problems. I still love them deeply. And camp was a highlight, uh, Daniel will tell you this, because of what the work that God does in the hearts of the kids. And so you're sitting there and praying for the kids that they will have open ears and hearts. And and, um, Kevin Garber was singing uh, at camp. Kevin actually replaced uh, Mark Lowry. Mark was uh, singing at camp and uh, he was... um, Nobody knew him. I mean, a few people did. He wasn't a household name. And so uh, Kevin took his place at the camp we were at, and then uh, he wasn't married, and then he met Christy, and then they got married, so they began to sing together. So we go way back for over 40 years, and then Christy got up, and she sang a song, and it was a song that Naomi Sing today. I didn't know she was going to sing that. She said, I have some songs. I said, well, sing what you, what you want to sing. And I hope you, you got the message in the chorus. Uh, if you don't have a willing heart, ask Him to give you one. If you can't seem to make a start, trust in His power. For the Lord of love is watching you, and He sees what you're going through. So tell him so, and you're telling him your weakness, you're having a hard time. And I remember I'd never heard that song, and a lady over in Florence, Alabama wrote that. I I want you to hear it sometime. I'll play the video for you, and where she's singing it, and it's so powerful, and tells how she wrote it. She wrote it at a heartbreak, and um, it's a powerful testimony. And I sit there, and, and I'd never heard it before, and I, I, I was praying for the kids, and I thought, that's it. Some of these kids are rebelling against God, they're rebelling against their parents, that, that's it. If you don't have a willing heart, ask Him to give you one. If you can't seem to make a start, trust in His power. That's it. And, and my friends, it, it's true for us too. That God can can give us a willingness to do what we're supposed to do. Because without a surrendered heart, I I cannot gain the direction that I'm supposed to have. And that's part of the preparation, is that I would surrender my life to the Lord. And not just one time, but on a daily basis. So in this passage in Joshua 3, we'll read it in a moment, just the first six verses, we'll look at it. The nation of Israel is at a crisis point, and God has led them up to the to cross the river. They're on the side of the Jordan. On the other side is the Promised Land. It's a land that God has promised the nation, and for them to get across the river, I've been there when I was in Israel and seen the Jordan, and it it 's swollen it 's at uh, the Bible says and I think it 's Joshua chapter three and verse fifteen there it 's at uh, the flood stage they cannot cross there 's two and a half to three million people, some say four million people with children and all, and they can 't embargo across it 's impossible because of the the currents and so forth, even if the river was was still it wasn 't at flood stage it would be impossible. To get them there, but listen to this, God had led them there providentially at this time, just like He led Moses to the Red Sea, and when Moses came to the Red Sea, there were mountains on each side of them, the Egyptian army behind them they couldn 't run this way, they couldn 't run that way they couldn't The only way that they could go was to go forward, but forward it was an impossibility, and I was thinking about this that there were only two men, as they stood there before the Red Sea, there were only two men that had been at the Red Sea, Joshua and Caleb. They were there with Moses. Nobody else had seen what God had done at the Red Sea. They had heard of it. In fact, the people in the land that they were going to heard of it because Joshua chapter 2 says that their hearts had melted. They knew what the kind of living God they had. But only two men and all of those millions of people that knew, actually had seen what God had done, Joshua and Caleb. And so now Joshua is the leader. And what happens here, what they do, what the nation does in obedience and surrender is going to determine their future. So let's read just the first six verses here and look at a couple of principles here to help us to find God's best as we... Uh, go into the future. Notice in verse 1, And Joshua rose early in the morning, we looked at that a lot, and they removed from Shedom and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. It came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people. Now, they're commanding them. This is what Joshua had gotten from the Lord in verse 1 when he got up early saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about, notice this, 2,000 cubits by measure. That's 3,000 feet, over half a mile. Come not near unto it. Pay attention to that. Don't come close to the Ark, that you may know the way. By which you must go. That's a promise. And here's the promise for us that we may know the way which we must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. A good promise for us. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God ten times in chapter 3, six times in chapters 4. Chapter 4, the word Ark, Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, 16 times in those two chapters. It's the key idea. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the Lord. It represents the presence of God. These two promises, verse 4, that you may know the way, God's promising direction in spite of the fact that they have not passed this way heretofore. They weren't familiar with it, but God says, I'm going to show you the way. I'll show you the way. I'll show you the way. And then the other precious promise is in verse 5, there at the end. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The word wonders has the idea of things that are amazing, things that are, are difficult, things that are hard. Uh, they were up against uh, not just miracles that were going to happen in the land, but just to get across the Jordan River when God performed a miracle for them. Uh, some of you have faced some, I talked to a brother this morning in our church. I said, this past year has been a hard time for your family, and uh, but the grace of God will be sufficient. Some of you don't know what this coming year holds for you, and it's, it may be a hard year. You haven't passed this way before, but the Lord will do wonders for you. You know, some of the preaching we hear is that God's going to give you new cars and new houses, and and God may do that. I'm not saying he won't have some of those wonders for you, but sometimes the wonder is the strength that he gives you to go through some things. So how do you put yourself in a position to experience God's best? Well, we've looked at two principles. First of all, when you follow God's direction, you also find God's best for your life. If you want God's best, you have to follow His direction. And even though you don't know where it's leading and you don't know about tomorrow, I remember uh, uh, our pianist and organist used to play that for the offertory when I was growing up. Uh, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. And if you want to find God's best, you have to follow His direction. And then last week we looked at this principle. God will not show you the next step until you obey the light He's given you to follow today. Uh, If you want to know what to do tomorrow, just obey today and the doors will open up. It's, It's very simple. The best way to be in the will of God tomorrow is be in the will of God today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take care of today. God will take care of tomorrow. He will give you instructions when you need them, but you must be obedient today. Now, here's the principle we're going to look at today a little bit and then develop this in the next message. That God will only do what He can do, which is what we need. Because when you do what you can do, you only get what you can get. But you want what God can do. And God will only do what He can do when you consecrate your life Fully to Him and to His purpose. Surrender is a prerequisite to experiencing God's best. That's why we sang some of the songs we did this morning. Where He leads, I will follow. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. We want to give our lives to the Lord fully. Uh, That's why He says there in verse 5, He says, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the lessons, and I'm just going to mention the first very quickly, uh, several lessons from this passage to uh, apply to discover God's direction. Number one, you must get a word from God. Get a word from God. We have talked about that. The Bible says in verse 1 that Joshua got up early in the morning, and then he began to give the directions in verses 2 and 3, and told the people what to do. That's where he got in, in a time of prayer and meditation. Upon the Word of God, as he got into the Word of God, and God began to give him direction. Get your directions from God. Uh, I think it's Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, the old song, and the line there says, The arm of flesh will fail you. Get your directions from God. And then, number two, do what God tells you to do. God is not going to give you information until you commit to doing what he tells you to do. My, my, professor in college taught me this, God will not show you His will to consider. Well, Lord, what do you want me to do? You show me and then I'll think about it. You'll never know it. You have to say, God, you have a heart of obedience and God knows if you're going to do it. And then He will reveal His will to you. And we looked at a lot of that last week. Notice in verse 3, the people, based upon what Joshua had given them, they commanded the people saying, when You see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites, bearing it then. So when you see the presence of God, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. But you've got to be obedient. So there's a when, there's a then, and then there's a go. You must apply what you know. That's what he's saying. So their obedience is related to to God's plan, which Joshua got in his time alone with the Lord. Now, last week I gave you some reasons that obedience is not optional. And I want to give you two more, uh, two reasons why obedience is not optional. Uh, First of all, obedience is required for your happiness. It's required for your happiness. You know, I think sometimes we look at lost people and we say, boy, if I can only be as happy as they are, uh, you know, there's an element of truth that the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin in Hebrews 11. Then it says for a season. I mean, if sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it, but it's only for a season. The most miserable person in the world is not a lost person. The most miserable person in the world is a disobedient Christian. Because they have the Holy Spirit of God. And when He is quenched and when He is grieved, conviction comes upon your heart. And you'll not be happy. God has designed you to be happiest when you're fulfilling His will. I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said it about the Ten Commandments. When God gives you a commandment and says, I want you to do this, He's saying, help yourself. This will make you happy. And when he says, thou shalt, and when he says, thou shalt not, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. God's not trying to to kill your joy. He's trying to increase your joy. So he's saying, help yourself and don't hurt yourself. Jesus gave us a verse in John chapter 13 and verse 17. If if you know these things, now where do you get these things? In the word of God. So there, there's the mind. You see the three parts of a person here. If you know these things, you've got to know the Word. You have to spend time in the Word. Happy, there's the emotions. Where do the emotions come from? They come from your will. Happy are you if you do them. Know, happy, and doing. So you you, you have the mind, the emotion, and the will. If you know these things, happy are you if if you do them. If you do them. Uh Obedience is required for your happiness. The happiest people are the people that that are in obedience to God. They're doing what God made them to do. I think we sang it last week. It's that good hymn. It's a great word. I like to, to, to read the Bible. And many years ago, I heard a preacher say this, and he helped me. He said, every Christian needs two books. They need a Bible, and they need a hymn book. Listen, these hymn writers walked with God. And, uh, and I like to sing them, but sometimes I just like to read all of the verses, even some of the songs I don't know. And and they touch on feelings and doctrines, and I learn more about Christ, and it just helps me. And, and so I'll just sit there and, and, and open my hymn book and, and read some of the, the lines, and they help me. And we sang Trust and Obey last week, and the chorus says, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Faith and obedience. Trusting and obeying. Obedience is required for your happiness. then obedience is, is crucial for a Christian, number two, because obedience is required to prove your love for God. God knows that I love Him not when I cry, not when I'm emotional, but when I obey Him. When I obey Him. John chapter 14 and verse 15, our Lord Jesus said, if... You love me, keep my commandments. I told our folks Wednesday night that John often used the word keep rather than do or obey. Occasionally he did, but usually like he did in John 13, he used the word do. But most often he used the word keep, which means to to keep as a treasure or to protect I'm keeping it before me. If you love me, keep my commandments. It has the idea of meditation, but also of viewing it, not just to learn it, but to obey it. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's how you know you love the Lord. I know a pastor that grew up with an absent father, a very brutal father, and he did not abuse him physically, but he did emotionally. And he's a good man. And he says, you want to love God? You, you obey God. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You'll obey. You, you keep my commandments. And he lashes the people with that verse. And so you walk out and say, yes, yes, I'll obey God. And you get this brutal idea that God is a taskmaster. And I agree with the text, but I disagree with the, with the sentiment of him. He, he's our father. 1 John 5.3 says the commandments are not grievous, they're, they're not weighty to us, and it's because of the love of God. Not our love for God, our love for God is a reflection because of the love. It's, it, that's why they're not weighty, it's because I love Him. And I'll show you that in just a moment. If you love me, keep my commandments. But if, if, if my life is absent of obedience, I don't love the Lord. You see, it's required to prove my obedience for God. In the same chapter in John 14, when you move down to verse 21, Jesus said, He that hath my commandments, and here he uses it again, and keepeth them. Same word. He it is that loveth me. Now, do you have the commandments? If you have a Bible on your lap, you do. You may not read it, but you have them. Maybe you read it, but you don't keep them. But when you keep them, you love the Lord. Now watch this, and he that loveth me, that is, you're you're walking in obedience and you love the word of God and the God of the word. Watch this, shall be loved of my father. So, well, preacher, I, I thought God loved me as his child, his son, his daughter. He does. One man said this, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And it's your choice. James 4, eight says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. You're, this morning, you're as close to God as you want to be. You have all of God that you want, as obedient as you are. Shall be loved of my Father. And I will, watch this, and I will love him, and here's the word, and will manifest myself unto him. I will manifest myself unto him. Now, what does that mean? The word manifest there means to to disclose to someone by by words or or an appearance it's a special information it's 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 a special appearance it has this idea it's an unusual sense of god's presence and I will manifest myself to him you know there are certain people that have a sense of God's presence that others do not have. And it's not because they're better than you, it's because they're more obedient than you, and, and they love the Lord more. They sense God's presence, and and they, they love the Lord. They, they know Him better because they know His love, and His love for them motivates their obedience. It's not a dry, dutiful thing. You see, your walk for God ought to deepen... As you as you get older, your obedience ought to deepen. I, I quoted this last week. I love this quote by Leonard Ravenhill. Maturity comes from obedience, not necessarily age. You may be older in the Lord in terms of when you got saved, but you may not be spiritually mature because you're not obeying the Lord. Same chapter, John 14, two verses down. John 14, 23. And Jesus answered and said unto him, "If a man love me, he will keep my words. Now this is three times john fourteen fifteen john fourteen twenty one john fourteen twenty three he keeps him this must be important. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him and we look at this Jesus said, and we will come unto him and he he shifts the idea and make our abode with him, the word "abode" means to reside in a home. It has this idea of being comfortable. Now, when you go into someone else's home, you're, you're not as comfortable. I mean, you, you won't take your shoes off and throw throw your feet up on the couch. And so, but but in your own home, you 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 feel at home. You're comfortable there. Are, are, are you are you comfortable at home? With God, is God, better yet, is God comfortable with you because He knows when He asks you to do something, you will do it. Does God make Himself at home because you love Him and you obey Him? See, obedience is, is required because it, it proves that I love Him. God not only gives tasks and, and reveals Himself more to people that obey Him, but He gives Himself to those people, and He manifests Himself to them. That's not spooky; they 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 know the Lord, they know His comfort, they they, they sense His presence in a special way. Now I want you to look at this passage. We'll show it was shown on the screen, but you may want to mark some things in your Bible in James chapter one. If you would look there, this is very key. In your time with God, that you would make obedience a part of your time alone with god now here 's what most of us do when when, when we read the Bible and, and it affects our mind, we say well i I had, I had a I, I learned something, and we show someone you know, I never saw this. look here, and we feel like God, god gave this to me well that 's good. it affected our mind. And then, if it warmed our heart, or if it convicted us, or warned, W-A-R-N-E-D, it warned us, and it touched our emotions, it's like a, and touched our soul, it's an extra blessing. Man, God really spoke to me this morning. And man, I was reading in the prophets this past year, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and man, I I saw things in there I'd never seen before. I've I've read them. I don't know, many, many, many times. I just God opened my eyes and I saw different things. And, um, but I, I felt different things. It was different. And so we, we, it's this extra blessing, but listen, your time alone with God is not complete. It's short-circuited if it just touches your mind and your soul, but doesn't affect your will. That's not, and you don't get much out of it. God shows, He not only shows you more of Himself, He shows you more of His Word when you realize, He realizes that, I say, God always knows, when you realize that you're committed to do what He tells you to do. Now, look in James chapter 1, look at verse 22. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. You see that? Now, he could have just said, be you doers of the word and not hearers. But he says, only deceiving your own selves. Because we equate doing with knowing. Or reading and hearing. You see, the goal of reading your Bible is application. Dale Moody said, the goal of the Bible is not information, but transformation. So be a doer of the word your your objective to come to church is not to hear the word it's to do the word at the end of the service i I will i will challenge you in fact all through the service i will challenge you with some things and the holy spirit will speak to you some things about which i do not your mind emotion and your will or will you do those things Sometimes people say, well, just man, I just go to church and God's not speaking to me. Well, you make, did you do anything about last week and last year? Maybe your soul is so numb and your mind is so bored. God's just not talking to you because your heart is not fresh, not hearers only. Then he continues, verse 23, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer. It's two different things to hear and to do. There's two kinds of people here today. Those that hear and read the Word and those that hear and read and do the Word. And here's a comparison. This is brilliant. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And that's a mirror. So here's the illustration. Uh, Those of you, in fact, I I think all of you got up this morning and you look because a mirror doesn't lie. We use this expression that the man in the mirror is. You know, I, boy, I've got to look myself in the mirror because the mirror doesn't lie. So you look in the mirror to understand your present physical condition and you evaluate it. And my, mine told too true of a story. I mean, my hair sticking up everywhere and i got these eye boogers in here and I've got to get all this stuff fixed up. And, you know, that looks like a maniac from Gadara right there. I need all the help I can get. Beholding his natural face in a mirror, and the Bible, in fact, here in James one and in other place compares itself to a mirror because it gives us a true reflection of our state. It doesn't lie to us; it tells us the truth. So here is what he says: If if any be a doer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to me beholding. So he's he's in the word. He hears the Bible preach. He reads it. Natural face in a glass. Now verse 24. He beholdeth himself. He spends time in the Word. He goes to church. But he goes his way. And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now I want you to underline straightway. And underline forgetteth. The word straightway means immediately. He doesn't make any adjustments Uh, Those of you, by the way, we know who you are that looked in the mirror and you didn't fix anything. We're just nice and didn't say anything. We know who you are. One of them is me. No, not really. But it tells on you. It's obvious. And we know who you are that heard sermons and read your Bible and didn't do anything. Your attitudes are showing. Your negative spirit is showing. and So many other things. Because you read it, you came to church, you beheld yourself, you looked in the mirror, you heard it preach, but you went your way and you forgot straightway immediately. And I wrote down this you procrastinated application, the most important thing. Because you equated hearing and reading with obedience. And it's not the same. Now, verse 25 is the key. But whoso, here's a contrast. Looketh into the perfect law of liberty. That's a synonym for the Bible. And we understand why it's called the perfect law. It makes no mistakes. It's true, absolutely perfect. And it's called the law of liberty because when you apply it, it frees you up. It gives you freedom. The perfect law of liberty. It continueth therein. And that's a contrast in verse 24. Rather than going your way and forgetting, you continue. That has the idea of meditation. You're not a forgetful here, but watch this, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. i want to give you three words here, really three ideas in your time alone with the Lord that will help you transform it. Number one, you must look in the word daily, look into it daily. The word in verse 25 there, looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Now the word looketh there means to intently give focused attention. The same word is used when John went in John chapter 20 and verse 5 and other places it's used. When John went into the tomb of Jesus on resurrection morning and, and the, the clothes were folded up, the cloth that covered his face was folded up. And the Bible says he went in and he bent over. Now I want to ask you, how did he look at that? With great, great focus and and everything was, he gave his entire focus to it. That's the idea of looking into the perfect. Sometimes I hear this said, and I don't want to be harsh about it and legalistic But Well, you know, if you're not reading the Bible, just, just read three minutes a day. And then go to five minutes. Okay, I guess there's a starting place, all right. But you've got to get something for your soul. You, have, you need something for your soul. You have to look every day. And then next, you, you need to linger in the Word throughout the day. Meditate in it. Linger in it. The Bible there says to continue therein. And that is in what you've looked at. And stay close by, tarry, abide. Um, that's what it means. It means to keep it because of its value. So I didn't just read the Bible. If somebody asked you yesterday, if you read the Bible, and they said, well, what, what did you read this morning? And again, I'm not trying to be legalistic, but this, it, 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 did you just hurry out? You need to look, you need to linger. This is meditation. Okay? And then the third one, just keep it alliterated. It's not the best word. Then you, you need to labor at application. Look, linger, and labor. That's why he says in the text there in verse 25, but a doer of the work. Now, here's, here's how you remember. You're looking, you're lingering, and when you're, you have some, okay, I need to start this, I need to stop this, or it has to do with worshiping God, whatever the idea is. This is what I'm, I'm going to do. This is where I'm going. You remember because you're intentionally focused on, on the application. And it's not here. Here's, here it is. It's not just something in your mind. Now, if it touched your soul, you'll remember. But if it's just something in your mind, if it's academic, you're going to forget it. But when it goes to mind, emotion, and will, you will not forget it. And you, you, you've got to, you've got to take that time and look and linger, and then labor. The Bible says in Mark chapter twelve and verse thirty. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. With all thy mind and with all thy strength. With all your mind, when you're thinking of the Word of God, and you're doing it with all of your strength. So fill your mind with the Word of God. Think of what God has said about Himself, about your sin, about His principles, about His promises. Be intentional in your reading. Be intentional in your lingering. Be intentional in your labor and your application. The psalmist, I I wrote this verse down, Psalm 119 and verse 60, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. And sometimes... God will ask you to do something that's uncomfortable. He may ask you to apologize. He may ask you to take another route to work. He may ask you to do something that's unfamiliar, something that's strange. And really, when you look in the Bible here in Joshua 3 and verse 4, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And listen carefully. If you're looking for something familiar and easy, you're going to miss God's best. Now, a lot of it is just common. But sometimes God's best for you is behind a door that's not painted a color that you're familiar with. I remember when my buddy said, oh, you don't want to go to that church in Dayton. All, all, all those chapels, that's what they call those small churches. All those chapels up there, they're storefront churches. And then some of them told me this, you go to those churches, they're not going to pay you anything. And guess what? They did But that wasn't important. You know, you know what I learned there? With all of my schoolwork, I had a Sunday school lesson I had to prepare every week and a training union lesson. I had two lessons I had to prepare every week. And then if I, if I had to preach, when Tommy asked me to preach, I had three lessons, I had to prepare a week in that little church in addition to my schoolwork. And I, my first year I, I played sports there. We didn't have college teams. It was just, you know, we were playing different groups. We had divided and I played flag football, and basketball. After that I couldn't do it anymore. Now I didn't go around and say, oh you shouldn't do that. I wasn't self-righteous about it. I I loved it. But I had to I had to make some choices. Okay, do I want to have fun? Or, or do I want to give myself to these other things? Well, I really want to do both, but I couldn't. So I said, man, I'm not going to be able to do that. And again, I, I would not a snob. I, didn't, I wasn't better than anybody. It's just that, okay, this is what I want to do. And man, I learned to discipline myself. My wife was in that church. And it was a door that people literally told me not to go to. They literally said, not all of them, but a bunch of people. Oh, I, I wouldn't go there. I hesitate to say this. Do you know know how many resumes I've written in my life? Zero. I'm not against resumes. I may have to write one tomorrow after this sermon. (laughs) I've never written a resume. And I believe a lot of it is related to what I'm talking about today. Because I, I said, Lord, if you show me what you want me to do, then I'll do it. You, you, just, you just open the door and give me the courage and the energy and the strength to do that, then that's what I'll do. So don't allow the uniqueness of God's call to make you hesitate from your obedience. Jesus' first miracle, I remember when we were Israel, we went to Cana of Galilee when he, he turned the water into wine. And Mary told the disciples and the servants there. She said unto the servants, Whatsoever Jesus saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever He says unto you, do it. That's a good principle. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. When I coached baseball, the first thing I did, first, first day of practice, I taught them the definition of obedience. And the reason I, I knew it, because I taught it to my kids. They can probably still quote it to you. But I got the boys around, and I said, because I knew if I was going to coach them, they weren't going to learn anything if they weren't obedient. And, and the foundation to obedience is attentiveness. If your child is not attentive, if they don't obey the first time, they haven't obeyed. I said if, and I taught my children, when I say your name, you come and look at me in the eyes. That's how I know you're attentive when you look at me in the eyes. Don't look away, look at me in the eyes. If you think I called me your name, you can, yes, sir, Dad, did you call me? Oh, you're harsh. No, it wasn't harsh. I just wanted my children to be obedient to God, just like Samuel was when he heard God speaking to him. And he went to Eli and she said, Did you call me? And so I, here's the definition I gave my kids. And it's the definition I gave my baseball team. It's not, I didn't come up with it, but I like it. Obedience in doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it. Here's the hard part, with the right heart attitude. It's not just doing what you're told to do, but it's doing when you're told to do it. And I would, I would put this in here sometimes, the way you're told to do it sometimes. Unless someone has given you some discretion. Obedience is doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, the way you're told to do it, with the right heart attitude. If you fail any of those things, I get those boys together. I said, because, you know, they they hadn't been taught to obey. They didn't have dads. Now, how do I know you're you're obeying? I mean, we worked on this. For, well, I'm looking at you. That's right. And I'd be talking and say, um, Bill, Bill, you got to look at me. Yes, sir. My goal at the end of the year, I didn't care if we won any games. I wanted to win games. I wanted those boys to learn something about obedience that would serve them for the rest of their life. There's so much more I could say and I wanted to say, but I ran out of time. Get a word from God and then do what He tells you to do. Old missionary was out in the uh, area where they had a lot of grasslands and the huts for the people were there. He taught a principle like I did this morning. It's, you've got to have a, a time where you meet with the Lord every day. Get you a time where you meet with God every day. The people got a hold of it. <clears throat> so they would take their, their scriptures and they would leave their huts and they would go down by the riverside or go out in the, uh, I was fixing to say the jungle, but out in the, the, the savannah, wherever out there. And soon, by habit, there would be paths, little beaten paths, little footpaths that would go from their huts out to where they met the Lord. It was a sweet thing. Everybody knew, well, that's, that's where they go to, to meet God. And then someone would begin to lose their temper and their attitude would go sour and they would begin to get backslidden. And then soon... Their path would begin to get overgrown with grass. And everybody knew they weren't spending time with the Father. And one of the friends would come up to him and put their arm around and say, Brother, grass is growing on your path. Grass is growing on your path. And some of you, grass is growing on your path. You're, you're not in the word. And the word is not in you. But some of you, you're in the word, and you're in church. You take notes, but you don't linger in the word, and you don't labor in the word. And God, God wants to, God wants you to mature, and He wants to take you to the next level so that He can shape you and form you. And and help you to become the man and, and woman that God wants you to be and He wants me to be. And he, he wants that for you. Could I pray for you to that end? Would you pray with me? Would you bow your head?